2: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is Dr. Corey S. Fawcett from Prescription for Financial Success, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
0: This is Wendy Mays from the House of Fi, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
1: I'm Bobby Hoyt from Millennial Money Man and Laptop Empires, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
0: Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence.
4: Welcome, this is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com.
2: So Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have a fun question today that
4: will cover how will a career transition impact your path to financial independence? So we're going to go through our guest panelists here and allow them to do a quick introduction before we dive into the conversation. Corey, do you mind giving us an intro, please,
3: sir? Yeah, I'm Dr. Corey S. Fawcett, and I will run Prescription for Financial Success. I retired from my general surgery practice at age 54 to teach doctors about personal finance through writing books And my series, The Doctor's Guide, has three books in it now, a couple more coming out this year, making some courses that are coming out, and uh, running a blog so that uh, people can find out how to do finances better.
4: So it sounds like you have a lot going on even though you are retired, so looking forward to hearing more about that. Wendy, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please?
0: Yeah, sure. My name is Wendy Mays. I am the co-host of the podcast House of Fi. I also blog at girlfiday.com. I retired my law practice in October of last year to do real estate. Um, I'm also the mama of six kids ranging in age from 22 to four years old.
1: Bobby, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please? Sure. My name is Bobby Hoyt. I have run a website, personal finance blog called Millennial Money Man. And I recently started in 2018, a a business called Laptop Empires, where we teach people how to start online businesses. And really my story is pretty straightforward. I used to be a high school band director and I decided that I wanted to start my blog. And I did that and I left my teaching job to run Millennial Money Man full time. And it's grown a lot and it's been kind of crazy. And and really the whole thing was based on me paying off $40,000 of student loan debt and getting passionate about personal finance. So that's my story.
2: Corey, we're going to start the conversation with you. One of my favorite bloggers, Joe from Retire By 40, wrote in a post recently. He asked a question. He said, is follow your passion a relatively new concept? I never heard this when I was a high school student in the late 80s. My parents wanted me to study engineering or medicine. These careers will support a family. Their advice was to follow a good, steady paycheck. So I wonder, you know, while we're talking about career transitions this advice of following your passion from day one. Do you think we should look at our career based on passion or should we do the reasonable thing that makes sense?
3: I think doing passion is the reasonable thing that makes sense. Following the paycheck is the thing that doesn't make sense. And the reason being, if you just follow a paycheck, let's take a physician. I'm a physician. Let's talk from a physician's point of view. The physician who comes out of residency says, I really need to make that big paycheck. So I'm going to be a cardiologist. But they hate what they do. And their other option was, I'd really like to be in family medicine, but it doesn't pay very well. And they would have loved that. You know, five years into that career, the cardiologist that's just chasing that paycheck, he's going to get burned out because the reason he gets up and goes to work is to make money. And pretty soon that gets old. But the guy who is going to work to enjoy it can do that forever. And it's not gonna do you a whole lot of good to chase a paycheck and five to 10 years later, totally burn out and decide to quit. I think that's a bad idea. You know, chasing your dreams, doing something you're passionate about, that's not a new concept. It's been around for decades, probably centuries. I'll bet Benjamin Franklin was talking about this issue. But I think in the long run, I think you're gonna be sorry if you just chase a paycheck. So Wendy,
2: when I went into medical school, the idea of becoming a doctor didn't necessarily meet the reality of what being a doctor was. And I know you spent a good part of your career as a lawyer. When you went to law school, did you feel like you were following your passion?
0: I did. And I do think that at the time I was following my passion. I changed what I wanted to do halfway through law school and focused on criminal law because I was so passionate about it. I wanted to be a prosecutor and fate did not have that in the plans. And I ended up doing defense work and fell in love with it. It was amazing work. It was rewarding and I was doing a good thing. I was working as a public defender. So it was rewarding. However, you know, things change. I did that for 16 years About five years ago, our family circumstances changed, and at the same time, life got really, really complicated, and so it wasn't filling my cup anymore. It was taking from my cup because I was dealing with serious stuff, and so that's when I started thinking that I got to do something. I got to make a change.
2: Bobby, when starting our career, should we follow our passion or should we go for economic safety?
1: My parents actually were not cool with me being a band director. Um, My dad's an engineer. He works at NASA. My mom was a secretary. And when I told him I wanted to be a band director, because at the time that was my passion, he he didn't understand that. And he was just like, no, you need to do something that you're not going to make enough money. And now that I'm a little bit older, at the time, I did not understand that. Now I'm a little bit older, there is a lot of practicality to that because you do have to make money to survive in this world. And if you want to reach financial independence, if you want to retire early, it takes money to do that, right? And so I actually understand that. And I think that if you're following your passions, that's very admirable and it's great. But I think you should try to do it in a way where you kind of balance passion with actually making money, right? And and surviving and and creating a career. So I think there are different ways to do it. I think that you can absolutely you know, have a career that maybe is not your passion, but you have something on the side that is your passion and kind of balance it out that way. Or you can do what I've seen a lot of people do where they grind in a career where they, maybe they don't enjoy it a ton, but they cut their spending so much and they invest and they save and then they end up retiring early and they have like the whole 30 or 40 years after that to just do whatever they want to do in life. So I think there's a balance to be had, but I do think there has to be some practicality to it as well.
2: Corey, I'm thinking about how that happens to physicians too, right? We go through our career and we get burned out or maybe our cup starts to get filled in other ways. How do we transition out of the day-to-day career when that happens and should we?
3: Well, I went through that. I had a time where I was doing vascular and thoracic surgery and the only reason I was doing that in my practice was because it paid well. It was the highest paying RVUs of any of the procedures that I did. I didn't like doing them. It caused anxiety. Those patients were sicker. They had to go to the ICU afterwards. They generated more phone calls. Why did I still do this? Well, the reason I was still doing it was because I was deep in debt. And I was afraid if I stopped these things, I'd lose my house or any of the other parts that I owed money on until after I got out of debt, I made a decision, I'm going to get out of debt. When I was out of debt, I felt like I can make this move now. I can drop this thing I don't want that's causing this anxiety because now I'm not afraid of the consequences if I do. And when I dropped them, there was no consequences. The stuff I wanted actually flowed right into my practice, into the empty holes that were left by moving other cases to my partners, and nothing happened. But I think that debt that hangs over us creates a fear that keeps us from moving into what we want to do. And we hold on to that thing that's making us money. And that happened to me.
4: So I'm curious, that partly answers my question because when you were talking, I was thinking about why do people do this to themselves? And so debt is a good driver for that. Maybe not a good driver, but a common driver for that. I'm curious, Wendy, do you know of anybody else who is following in that same trap and they may have already paid off the debt, but yet they continue to still chase the paycheck. What would your advice be to someone like that?
0: I don't know that I know anybody in that situation where they've paid off the debt and are still mm. in that situation where they're chasing the paycheck. I know a lot of people who are still in debt and chasing the paycheck. So I don't know that I can answer the first question.
4: That's fine. Is that the most common reason you think? I mean, I'm, Oh
0: yeah, so common. So many of my colleagues who are still practicing laws, they feel that anxiety and feeling trapped that Cora was talking about, where they feel like they can't do anything else. And I felt that too. I felt really stuck. And that was the cause of a lot of my anxiety and depression is that I needed this income and I had all this student loan debt still. And that's why finding the Phi community was this just awakening for me that, you know, there are people out there just like me who are making decent livings and they're saving 50% of their income and retiring early. And like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? And so that's when I started consuming everything that was in the Five Community Podcasts, you know, books and just figuring out a way. It gave me such hope that I could move on.
2: Wendy, tell me a little bit about your income situation as a lawyer versus your income situation now.
0: It's significantly reduced. So I was making pretty close to you know double six figures as a lawyer. And so to have that cut into about a quarter of that was huge. But that took some planning. I'm not financially independent right now, but because of the principles in the FI community and learning to just scale back everything, we worked it into our budget. So we eliminated as many expenses as possible so that I could handle that reduction in income.
2: Yeah. Bobby, how much role did debt play in keeping you from making a career transition? Was that the thing that was holding you back in the beginning?
1: For a while. Yeah. I mean, when I started my teaching job, I was $40,000 in student loan debt. I didn't really have a plan for getting out of that. I didn't really know what to do with the debt or anything like that, but I felt kind of trapped in my teaching career because of that, because I, I figured out very quickly after becoming a teacher that it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. After about the first year, I was pretty much like, I don't know if I can do this until I'm 50, but the debt it was, I couldn't leave the job. I had to you know, make my student loan payments. So that's what really was the catalyst for everything that I've done because I had to cut, you know, we moved in with my in-laws. I would live so frugally. It was ridiculous. And it was hard, but I had to pay off the debt because it gave me the opportunity to go do something different. I didn't know it would be Millennial Money Man, but I knew it would be something else. And so paying off that debt allowed me to do that.
2: Did the blog start as a job replacement plan or was it more of a hobby?
1: Oh, it was a total hobby. I didn't know anything about blogging when I started doing it. I actually, I started my site on Medium. So I guess it wasn't even really my site. I just started writing on Medium. And the the way this whole thing happened was I wrote this post on Medium. And it was just about like five things I think millennials should do with money or something. I don't even remember the title anymore. And I shared it on Facebook and it just kind of went mini viral within all of my friends. And they're like, Oh wow, Bobby, this is really good. You have really good writing or whatever, even though I don't think that I'm a great writer, but they liked the story. So then it just became something where I took that and I was like, you know what, this personal finance thing is cool. I did pay off all this debt. Maybe I should talk to my high school students about it. Nobody really teaches them about money. And so I started doing these these lessons, we were supposed to do advisory lessons and I thought they weren't the greatest advisory lessons out there. And so I was like, well, we're going to replace this with like how to read a credit report, (laughs) you know? And I just started teaching my students about money and they loved it. It was like, it lit this fire in them. And they were like, wow, nobody's ever talked to us about money because the reality is every kid wants to be rich when they're in high school. So uh, they love talking about that. And then as I became more passionate about it and I realized like, okay, I think I have something to say here. That's when it started becoming the job replacement plan. But in the beginning, no, it was just, it was something I just started on a whim. And honestly, I don't even know why I started it. I tried to talk to my wife about that. I'm like, do you remember why I even started Millennial Money Man? Like, do you remember the conversation? And she doesn't. So I don't even remember why I started this whole thing, but I'm glad I did.
2: Corey, tell me a little bit about this. So clearly having a higher income is good for paying off debt. It's good to prepare yourself for financial independence, but there's also something about the identity we form as high wage earners. Do you find that for physicians, it's hard to take a step back when they identify with themselves as the moneymaker?
3: I think that's a tough thing. That was something that I struggled with when I was getting ready to leave medicine. How much of my identity is being a physician and how will I handle that? And for me, I took the route for the last three years to cut my practice back to part-time. And I went out and did locum's work instead. And I could do it on my terms and my time. And I slowly dropped the number of hours I was working until for the final seven months, I was only working one week a month. And by the time that happened, I had slowed down enough that I was ready to let go. And I don't think... I would have done well had I let go from a full practice and just stopped it. I think I would have had a bit of an identity crisis. One thing you mentioned that I think I would disagree with, you said having a high income is good for getting out of debt. I would say it can be good for getting out of debt, but mostly having a high income is good for getting you into debt because now everyone will lend you money. And I was recently counseling family who uh, called about their problems. And their problem was they make $750,000 a year, but they have nothing. They rent their lifestyle. They borrow money to do everything and nothing is going to savings or retirement. So having a high income isn't the ticket that gets you to wealth. It's saving money. If you have the high income and you spend it all, you aren't going to make any traction on that direction.
0: Well, it's kind of like that principle, and I forget what it's called, but how, you know, you use up all the time that you have available to you. But it's the same thing with money. The more you make, the more you spend, you know, the bigger house, the bigger car, the more extracurricular activities you get for your kid, you use up the money. So having a higher income, if you're smart about it, absolutely, it can help you become debt free and get the savings. But For I think the majority of Americans and the world, you just use up what you have.
2: So Wendy, is it safe to say that reducing your income didn't have nearly as much of an impact after your career transition than you thought it would?
0: No, I mean, we did a lot of hard work we're making harder choices now. Like we have to say no to a lot of things and we can't do some of the things that maybe we used to do before more freely. But the flip side of that is that I'm more available to my children, to my husband, to do these passion projects that I have.
4: And if you'd allow me, I'd like to peel back the layer of the onion a little bit deeper there and provide some specifics because I think there might be people listening that are thinking, What is she talking about the things that she had to peel back? Do you mind sharing anything?
0: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we don't drive new cars. We have older cars. Clothing, we don't shop. We don't go to the mall, really. We shop inexpensively. We're really good about our food budget, and we don't eat out a lot. We have made room in our budget to take vacations because we believe those are important, and the experience is worth it for the kids. But even then, we're smart about it we do Airbnb. We find ways to save money. We always get a suite or something that has a kitchen so that we cook. So it's those sorts of, you know, we don't have the extravagances anymore. We don't have a housekeeper anymore. Those sorts of things.
2: So Corey, what Wendy is describing is her career transition has caused her to sacrifice some things. It's not always simple, right? So here's the question. How do we know when it's time to leave? How do we know when it's time to either change professions or scale back, knowing that there's going to be some sacrifice involved?
3: Well, there's not always sacrifice involved. Like in my case, I can give you the opposite story. I didn't have to sacrifice anything when I left because we started from the day we got married living on only half of our income and saving the rest. I mean, as a resident, I was actually in three months into my internship when we got married. That's the decision we made. We're going to live on half of our income. And when we did that, we were living less than maximal lifestyle our whole life. So by the time I got ready to let go of my practice, I wasn't going to have to cut back anything because my lifestyle was already a moderate lifestyle. I wasn't driving a Ferrari, you know, for example. And so I didn't have to go through the cutback. For a lot of people who've been living up to their income and spending it all along the way, if you decide you're gonna transition to something less, you will have significant cutbacks to make. And so whether or not you make those cutbacks or have to make those cutbacks really is determined by when you decided to become financially independent. If you decided it early, uh, you're not gonna have that problem. If you decide late in your life, Oh, what we're doing isn't working. We're going to have to make a change. I'm pretty sure that change is going to be a bit painful. And you're going to have to cut out things you've grown accustomed to. And I think that's way more difficult than never becoming accustomed to them in the first place, which is what my path was like. And so there's more than one path to Phi. Uh, one is a lot more comfortable and one hurts. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any way to say it except when you decide you're going to have to downscale your house or downscale your cars or get rid of a fourth car uh, or go down to one, you're going to feel like that hurts.
0: Doc, I wanted to address, you asked the question, when do you know it's time to leave? And for me, I just wasn't being the type of lawyer that I knew that I was, and I wasn't being the type of mom that I knew that I should be, and I wasn't being the type of wife that I knew I should be. My career was draining me in in every area. And I knew that I was better, but I just didn't have it in me to be better. And so I knew that if I didn't make a change, something bad was going to happen. And I didn't want that for myself. I didn't want that for my clients. And I didn't want that for my family. So I had to figure out a way to transition careers.
2: Wendy, was there a specific trigger event that sealed the deal for you?
0: Yeah, I missed a deadline. And I never missed deadlines before. I never missed things in the practice of law. Like you're run by your deadlines. You have to file certain motions, and you know, thankfully, I was able to get um, leave from the court and fix it. But like that's like you know, it's like a oh crap moment. Like there's something going on here, and you need to fix it, and you need to fix it now before you do some damage to someone.
2: Corey, the same question applies to you. As I listened to you both, I realized that Wendy sounds like she's having an early to mid-career transition, whereas you are working more towards an end-of-career transition. Did you have a triggering event that made you look up and say, boy, I really need to slow down?
3: I did have an event like that, and it came from my wife, actually. And it wasn't so much my career itself that was causing the trouble. But it was the ancillary pieces of the career that caused the trouble. And she basically hit me over the head with a four by four and said, hey, listen, you got to stop this. And I said, what are you talking about? Because I didn't see the problem. She saw the problem. And she says, you're doing too much stuff. You have to pull back and spend time with us. You know, and I was arguing with that. What are you talking about, too much stuff? And then she pointed out, okay, well, let's just write down all the stuff you're doing. You know, and I was the president (laughs) of this thing. I'm the vice president of this thing. I'm the treasurer of this other group. I'm the secretary of this group. I'm on this committee and that committee. And when we put it down on paper, I came to the realization that I really am doing too much stuff. This is ridiculous. And what my plan was at that time was let's let things atrophy. I didn't feel good about just jumping out of something that I had committed to, but I came to the realization, yes, I am overloaded. Yes, I am doing too much. And each time something came to an end, I would not replace it. And I used to have the tact, okay, no, I'm no longer the chairman of that committee, so now I can be on another committee. And no, as those things went away, they just ended. And I was on that path when we discovered a breast biopsy came back positive on my wife. And that was a defining moment in my career because that day I canceled everything. I just said, I'm off for the next 30 days while we go to different doctor's appointments and figure out the plan and do this. And here I thought, you know, I couldn't leave those things because I was so important to that committee. But the day I said, you know what, my wife has breast cancer, I'm pulling back. It was as if I pulled my finger out of a bucket of water. There was no hole. No one missed me. The things I thought were so important were not. And suddenly someone else just stepped up and did what I was doing. And those committees uh, and organizations never missed a beat because I pulled out. And yet the month before that, I wasn't willing to pull out. I would let it atrophy. But when I had that defining moment, I was able to pull out easily. I just said, I can't do this. I'm leaving. I have to do this other job. And it was no big deal to all those organizations. So a lot of the things that we feel this drive, it's totally self-imposed. That need for me to be on all those committees was totally self-imposed. And one incident changed all of that. You know
2: what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later That's m o n a r c h m o n e y dot com slash e a r n for your extended 30 day free trial. Wendy, as I hear Corey talk, our self imposed sense of importance helps define who we are. And leaving a big job like being a lawyer, did you feel some loss of identity?
0: Oh, I still feel that. I was always very proud of the work that I did, it, you know, it's work that a lot of people wouldn't do, but I also felt like it was some of the most important work out there defending people's constitutional rights. And so a lot of my pride and identity of what I had accomplished and the work that I did was just good work. So I, I still am trying to wrap my head around, you know, who am I? I'm, I'm no longer Wendy. Hi, I'm a lawyer. It's I used to be a lawyer. I retired by practice. So I'm still working through that.
4: So, Wendy, I'll have a follow-up question on that. When you are now in your life, shortly after being a lawyer and processing this feeling of identity that you've lost by not being an attorney anymore, when people ask you, what is it you do? How do you go about responding?
0: Well, I think a big part of how I respond now is what am I passionate about now and doing the podcast and building that. And it's been my baby now for a year. And I'm very passionate about it. And I'm so excited about it. So now that's where my energy is focused. And so I think that that's where I'm gaining a lot of my identity now. But then I also settled into my identity as the mom, you know, for the longest time, it was just about my career. And of course, you know, my kids are like in the forefront of my mind, but that was my identity. It was a career person. And so I've been focusing more on my role as being a mom to them. And so just finding new passions and things that light my fire is what I'm focusing on now.
3: My partner basically saved me from this problem. I came to him. I had always planned to retire at age 50. That was just my plan. And when I was 50, I was financially independent and ready to retire. And I came to my partner and I said, hey, I'm going to retire at the end of the year. And he asked me a question that saved my life, I think. And it was, okay, what are you going to retire to? And I hadn't thought about that. I figured once I was retired, I'd have plenty of time to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. And his comment was that all of the doctors that he knew who retired without a plan were back working again in six to 12 months. They were either bored or they were out of money or something wasn't right. And I realized that I didn't have a good plan. And so I spent the next three years, I kind of scaled my practice back a bit. So I wasn't working so hard but I wanted to develop a plan. And so that's when I ended up starting to write books and getting prescription for financial success. And I had a plan to teach doctors about finance. I had been teaching finance to people for a long time and why not just gear it towards doctors? And so now I had a plan. So when I left medicine, I had something special and constructive to do that kept me from having an identity crisis. And I I think if he had never asked me that question and I just went ahead and retired at 50, I may have been one of those doctors who went back to work uh, in 6 to 12 months because I was maybe bored. And I think a new plan, a new direction, a new mission made all the difference for me.
2: Bobby Hoyt, I want to bring you in on this conversation. Corey talks about having a plan when you're doing a career transition. It seems to me your career transition was fairly abrupt. One day you are teaching band at a high school. The next minute you are running an internet empire. Did you plan it out step by step?
1: No, not at all. Basically the way it unfolded for me, I started Millennial Money Man uh, while I was still teaching. And uh, it was just kind of this little side project that I did. I didn't know anything about running a website or blogging or anything like that. And when I started it, I'd gotten into band directing because I was really passionate about music. I loved music. I loved teaching the kids, but I hated dealing with all the teacher stuff. Every teacher you probably talk to, you could ask them how they like dealing with like administration and all that kind of stuff. And they would probably tell you that part sucks but the kids are great and everything's great. So I started to have these kind of thoughts like, man, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know if this is what I really like. Did I mess up? Did I do the wrong career? And basically there was a point where I just decided, you know, I don't, I'm going to pursue this millennial money man thing. It hadn't made any money, but I believed in it. And it was something that I, I started to see like some grassroots following, you know, I had people that were kind of following me and I don't know, for some reason it just felt like the right decision. And at the time my wife and I had saved up about a year worth of my salary. And, uh, we just had a conversation one night, and I was like, "Hey, Coral," so my wife I was like, "I want to do this. I want to, you know, do the leap of faith thing." And she was just like, "Okay, that sounds good. Let's do it." And I think because we were young—I mean, I was 26 at the time—I think knowing what I know now about life and everything, I'm, I might not have done it because it was pretty scary, and like the chances of failure were ultra, ultra high. I'm surprised that I made it this far, but yeah, I just took the leap, and then it was just kind of have to figure out how to make money after that. You know, basically how I've been able to build all this, but it was scary, and I did not plan well.
2: Wendy, I like Bobby's terms. He says, I took a leap of faith. Is that what it felt like you were doing when you left your law career?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I am a person of faith. And so I do run on that principle. But what I felt was that I was having that message for a long time that you need to get out, you need to retire, you need to close your practice. And I fought it for a couple of years. What's been amazing, though, is that when I finally did, things have worked out. They worked out amazingly well things are going well. I'm doing well. Money is showing up. We're paying our bills. We're saving. And it's just working out. I kick myself. I'm like, you should have done it sooner. Like you would have saved yourself so much angst that you should have just taken the leap when you first knew you should have.
2: Corey, the same question goes to you. Should you have done it sooner? Looking back, could you have made this change 10 years ago?
3: I probably could have made the change 10 years ago, but I liked the job I was doing. So I wasn't trying really to get out of medicine. It was more of, okay, I've done this long enough now. I practiced medicine for 23 years. I'm ready for a change. It wasn't like I really need to get out of here. I did have a moment like that during medicine where I thought I'm getting out of here. And I almost bailed about 15 years earlier and didn't. And I think if I had bailed at that point, I would have been like the other two guests uh, thinking, boy, I'm going to have to take a leap of faith, see if this is going to work. But when I did it, it wasn't really for me a leap of faith because I had a huge safety net. I was already financially independent. So if the thing I changed to didn't work out, it didn't matter. I would just do something else to bide my time, you know, because I'm young enough to still be doing things. It didn't matter if it succeeded or didn't. So I had this huge safety net but if I had pulled the trigger that 15 years earlier without the safety net, that would have been a different story. And I became pretty close to doing it from a situation at work that I basically resolved and then didn't have to do that.
2: Bobby, I'd like to transition the conversation a little bit. I was reading your blog and in some of your older posts, you talk about how you grew up drumming and it was something you were good at and that eventually led you to your profession. And you had a talent for it. I mean, you said at points that you were better than the people around you. Is it hard to leave a job you're really good at for one that you don't know whether you'll be successful or not?
1: Yeah, it's terrifying. All through high school, I was very fortunate that I was pretty talented at drumming. I I wasn't the best, but I did have a lot of natural ability for whatever reason. And so when I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do with my life, I was like, well, I know I'm at least good at this. You know, I didn't know if I really wanted to be a band director and teach music, but I was like, I can, I know I can do it. I actually almost went to business school first and I decided not to. Part of me has always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I was like, "Eh, I don't know, like nobody in my family is an entrepreneur. I don't really know that many people that own their own businesses. And so I was just like, I'm going to do the band director thing. You know, when I did leave that, yeah, it was really scary because I I didn't know anything about the personal finance community. I didn't know anything about like FinCon. I think the only blog I'd ever seen was maybe the Penny Hoarder just because it's such a huge website. So I didn't know anything and I just kind of jumped headfirst in this whole world. I mean, that was pretty much it. So it was definitely a growing process for me, but I kind of always believed that I could do it for some reason. So I just kind of kept doing it.
0: Yeah, transitioning to something that you really have no knowledge of is terrifying. So when I decided to transition to real estate, I was pretty methodical in, you know, what am I going to do if I'm not going to be a lawyer? And so I looked at things where I knew that I could have a business. I knew that I had unlimited income potential. I didn't want to work for someone else. And so real estate seemed to check all those boxes. But essentially, I'm a salesperson and not having that sales background was really, really scary scary. And so I've done some things like knocking on a stranger's door when you hate people knocking on your door. The first time in my brokerage where they, you know, wanted us to go out door knocking, I sat in my bathroom for 30 minutes hyperventilating <laughs> because I don't want to go knock on these people's doors. They're going to yell at me. They're going to be mad. So, you know, I had to push through all of that fear and now I do it and I got two clients out of it through door knocking. Like, it's crazy. It works. And, you know, you just have to push through the fear, I think. You know, if you fail, try something else.
1: I just want to add on to that because that was one of the hardest things for me to figure out when I left my teaching job because I was used to getting a paycheck. Like, every two weeks I got my paycheck and that was it. I had never sold anything. I think maybe I would sold, like, popcorn with the Boy Scouts or something. And so, when I first started, I had to figure out how to make money And uh, I remember specifically, I started kind of like a small digital marketing business outside of my blog because blogging is the slowest business model in the world. I had to figure out a way to make money. And so I, I sold digital marketing services, just like website creation and all that kind of stuff. And I remember going to a coffee shop with some guy and he had some business that I hadn't, I didn't know anything about it. I had no business even being in the meeting with him and the meeting went terribly. It was the worst sales experience possible. I didn't know what I was doing. He basically said no within like 10 minutes. (laughs) It was just horrible. But I did learn from that. And that was one of the things like stepping out of my comfort zone and pushing myself to learn how to actually sell. And now I feel like all the things I learned from that have go into my business and allow me to to make the income that I do. I truly believe that every person should try to learn how to sell at some point because it's a life skill. And and once you know that how to do that and know how to sell, you don't have to worry about money. It's a great thing that I I wish I had known sooner. So yeah, I, I agree. That part is terrifying.
2: Coria, how do you feel about this? Because as physicians, we definitely learn how to sell ourselves and market ourselves, but it's different than the rest of the world, right? We go to the doctor's lounge, we become friends with referring physicians, we get referrals from our patients. It's a lot different than the selling that Wendy and Bobby are talking about. On the other hand, when you transition to an author and a coach, you had to learn some of that similar sales and marketing. Did you find it hard to make that transition?
3: The difference between their story and my story is the timing of their transition. Like when Bobby transitioned, he really still needed to have an income. And so he had this necessity driving him out to make sure this stuff happens. I got to do this. I got to do this now. I've got one year in savings to make this thing work. I think when you have that kind of a setting... It really drives you to do these things with more gusto. When I did it, one of the downsides for me was that I didn't need it to succeed. So I didn't have to work really hard. I wasn't bothering to monetize my blog site because I didn't need the blog to make any money. I was doing it because I had a mission. Till later on, somebody sat me down and says, you know what, you should be doing this. You should be doing these things. So there's no reason you shouldn't have some money coming in from that blog. And I began to do that. But I think that necessity drive changes everything. If you need this to happen, you begin to do things much more than if you just did it because, okay, let's just make a change. So I think that's a different motivation. And physicians, they do need to sell, but it's a different kind of salesmanship. You're trying to get your For me, I'm trying to get my referring doctors to to send their patients to me, as opposed to the other guy, is a different thing than getting somebody to just walk in your door. I think it is a different path.
0: I would absolutely agree with that, that I know what income that I need to bring in or we're not going to pay bills. (laughs) So it is a huge motivator. It overpowers any of the anxiety that I have that I need to go and prospect or make a phone call or have a conversation. Putting food on the table is a big motivator. It's a good one. Also meeting our sales goals is we have a big, we not our sales goals, but our savings goals. You know, we've got big plans for what we want for our future and holding on to that big why is, is another motivator.
2: Yeah, Bobby, on the same vein, when it comes to career transitions, is necessity the mother of invention?
1: I, I always tell people that fear is probably the most powerful motivator out there. I remember just even when I was, there was about three months where I didn't make any money and I was just like, I've got to do something. And that really drove, you know, drove the marketing stuff, which drove Millennial Money Man. And then I just like it just all kind of compounded on itself. But a lot of it was just because I was really scared. And so that need to make money really has kind of built this whole thing. It's different now that the site is bringing in good revenue and everything. I'm not scared month to month like I used to be. Every month, I remember my wife would probably, I drove her nuts because it was like the first day of the month would hit and I'd be like, oh God, am I going to make it this month? And now that has changed because I've built systems and processes to where there's, you know, always money coming in. But yeah, the necessity definitely, I had to create all of that stuff because if I didn't, I would be, I don't even know, I guess I'd probably be teaching again.
2: Wendy, it seems like we have to get over our own fears, and it takes a lot of emotional energy to make career transitions. I wonder also if there's the added problem of our friends and family pushing back against our change. When you decided to leave being a lawyer, did you have friends and family members coming up to you and saying, hey, what are you doing? You're crazy.
0: I think my husband fills that role. He definitely fills that role. His questions are, have you brought any money in? And he has also given me deadlines, you know, look, if this doesn't happen before, you know, six months or, or, you know, whatever the deadline is, it's like, then we need to do something. We can't not have an income. So there's that push from him. And I like to have a happy husband. So we figure out a way to do that.
1: I just want to add, my mom thought that my business was the worst possible idea. When I told her about it, she literally, my dad thought it was great because he always wanted to like open a restaurant. He wanted to be an entrepreneur, but my mom was, she was like, are you kidding me? You're going to do a website? Like what in the world? She was upset with me and fortunately like she's not now, but it took a long time to convince her. And that was hard because I felt bad. You know, my parents helped me throughout college and everything. They helped me get my music education degree and I basically turned around and I was like, thanks for helping me with that, but I'm going to go do this other thing instead. That's totally unproven. And you know, my mom had a lot of like issues with that, but it worked out. But yeah, the family members and people around you can definitely kind of hold you back a little bit sometimes if you let them.
4: I like the word you said, that wasn't a very good idea. Was your business a good idea? Are you talking from a survivorship bias point of view or a lot of people listening to this and they're kind of thinking, what should I do? How can I take this conversation and do something different with my life? Would you advise somebody to do what you did?
1: No, not ever. And I do, you know, for the first couple of years, I think probably the first two years when I did end up kind of, you know, quote unquote, making it, I didn't recognize that it was survivorship bias because I was like, yeah, you can do this too. You can totally do this too. And then I started getting emails from people that were like, Hey, Bobby, I saw your story and I quit my job yesterday. And that was the worst feeling ever because I was like, holy crap, that's not what I wanted. And so now I, you know, I'm a lot more careful about, all of those things. When I tell my story and I talk about like the way I left my job, I always try to insert the fact that it's not a good idea to do it the way I did. My business model was not even a business model because I didn't have one. When I started, I just kind of took a jump into something that could have been a horrible idea. So when people ask me, should I quit my job or should I do this? Part of me is like, well, yeah, you 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 only live once. You should go do something cool if you want to do it, but you should also plan way better than I did. And don't use me as an example because I didn't do it right.
2: Corey, Are we selling a false set of goods? Do we make it sound easier than it really is?
3: Well, I think the survivorship bias is definite. It's there. It seems easy for us because we did it. If you've successfully gotten through something, it seems easy. I've had this conversation, for instance, with my son, who is a whiz with IT things and video productions and things like that. And he doesn't realize that no one else can do that. He just thinks that everybody can do this easy. You know, what's the big deal? But the fact is, this is all the other people don't know what he knows that he just takes for granted. And I think we do take it for granted if we successfully made the move. My wife was actually pushing for me. I had the opposite experience of Wendy. My wife was pushing for me to do it. She kept telling me, you know what? We do have enough money. You don't have to work anymore. And I kept worrying, do I? Uh, What if I make this move and we really don't have enough money and I was wrong about my calculations? And I think a lot of people feel that way. What if I do make this move and it doesn't work? What's going to happen next? I think the biggest push to take you to go ahead and make that move is how miserable are you in the current situation? If your current situation is pretty miserable, even if you fail, you're probably going to be better off than miserable. If your current situation is not that bad, maybe you better have a good plan in place before you give up the not that bad plan that puts food on the table.
0: I think a lot of my husband's apprehension is that just by nature, he has a more W-2 mindset, whereas I've always been the entrepreneur. And, you know, one of the things that I had to remind him was I've always been an entrepreneur. I always found a way to make the money that, you know, trust me trust that I'm going to make this work and I would never put our family in jeopardy. And if it means that I have to step back into something to provide for our family, I will. I know that that's a fear of his, that he has a very much the provider mindset and consistency and stability. So I had to be sensitive to him and addressing his concerns for us to be the team that we are.
4: So I have a question about that. You mentioned being an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur has a salted position in our society now and it's exalted as everybody should be entrepreneur, or at least I get that feeling a lot because it's always out there. Or amongst our community, you hear a lot of people about you should do a blog, you should do a podcast. Does everybody have to have that sort of transition plan?
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. I don't think that everybody is cut out for that at all. You have to be really in tune with who you are, and that's okay. We just all aren't built that way. So, you know, have a plan, but it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. Maybe it could be having, you know, something on the side, you know, something like that.
3: I think the entrepreneur is a mindset, and I'm hearing it across everybody on the panel today. All of us that have successfully made this kind of transition have an entrepreneur mindset, and not everybody has an entrepreneur mindset. And if you don't have that, I mean, I think clear back to when I was a teenager. You know, I was out teaching piano lessons. I was out babysitting. I was out mowing lawn. I was an entrepreneur as a teenager. And with a mindset like that, in general, like Wendy said, trust me, I'm going to make this happen. That is the entrepreneur mindset. I'm going to make this happen. And if you mistakenly think you have an entrepreneur mindset and you jump into something like this without that, It may not happen because you're not going to have that drive that you need to, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. I mean, that's a way different thing than let me give it a try. And if you're missing the entrepreneur mindset, it may be very dangerous to just jump into something like that and leave something that's taking care of you, hoping that the next thing will be better. The entrepreneur tends to know the next thing is going to work. I do believe that blogging and online
1: business and and all of those things are very accessible and I have seen enough people be successful with it now that I think there's a lot of opportunity and honestly, I mean if you're talking about starting a blog, they're pretty cheap to start. I have so many friends that are making like crazy money and they started from like a fifty dollar hosting sign up or whatever with that said though, I don't think it's for everybody. I think everybody should try entrepreneurship if they kind of want to and I think that online business is an easy access route to try that but I wouldn't try to force yourself to do it if you really don't enjoy it. Like I think all of us that that have online businesses know that how much work goes into this, just podcasting and blogging and all that. And there's a lot of times no immediate reward for any of those things. There was a long time where I didn't make any money from my site and I put hours and hours and hours and hours into it. So I think that you have to be prepared for that. There is no instant overnight success. And I think that that is what throws people off because they're like, They see somebody seven years into their journey making tons of money online and they're like, oh, I want to do that. And they don't realize that it took years and years and years to build. They're looking at a snapshot of somebody's seven years of work or eight years of work. So yeah, I mean, I think people should try it if they want to do it, but it's not for everybody and that's okay too. It's okay to to just have a normal job that you like and you can turn off. That's the other thing. Like I work all the time. I don't have, you know, 5 p.m. shut my brain off like I used to when I was a teacher and I actually miss that sometimes. I just don't have that luxury anymore. So that's something to think about.
3: When I went to college, I remember somebody mentioning that 50% of the people who just came in here are all pre-med and the other half of you are all pre-law, but it's not gonna turn out that way. So a bunch of people who jumped into college thinking they're gonna go to medical school, as soon as they took organic chemistry, they changed their mind. And so we can jump off into a path that we're going after and sometimes We don't really know what's on the other side of that path. And then when we get into it, we say, hey, this isn't what I wanted. I'm going to go another way. Even if you jump out into something like setting up a blog and it doesn't work out for you, it doesn't mean to give up. It means to pick a direction that seems better for you.
4: I'll circle back to the original question, which we chose the word transition carefully in the question, how will a career transition impact your path to financial independence. And I think it's not a jumping off for most people. It is a transition. And it's this idea of trying some things, scaling back what you do, finding that time. And I like to give each of you a chance to give your last words on what the audience might be thinking, what your suggestion to the swath of people who are listening, what should they be thinking about in this consideration of creating a transition and potentially early retirement? We'll go with Wendy first.
0: For me, it was a transition. I did specific changes in my practice to give me more runway because I knew that it was going to take us some time to pay off some of our debt. I knew it was going to take some time to make room in our budget to be able to afford. So some of the things that I did was I changed the, most of my work was as a contract attorney with the county. And so in the beginning, it was all trial work. I was in court every single day. And so what I did was I let those cases atrophy close out, but then I also changed the practice to appellate work. So appellate work is more writing. So I didn't have to be in court as often, which was a lot of the drain was being in court every day, traveling to Phoenix every day. And so that gave me another year or two of runway to be able to emotionally deal with my practice and still do good work. And then I took off another type of the work that I did. So I did that for about four years to where I was actually to a point where I could say, okay, now I can do this. I can close it out. So transition is a great word. I mean, unless you have the cushion that Corey is talking about, really you should have a plan and should figure out a way to move from one thing to the other.
1: Bobby, how about you? Well, It's always hard for me because that is what I did. And I just kind of leaped into it. But over the years, the people that I've seen that I think do this well are the people that kind of prepare for it. Uh, And they do transition like what Wendy was saying, and they kind of like get their ducks in a row. And I think that's the smart thing. And I think that's the responsible thing. So I always suggest that. Unless you just have way more money than you know what to do with, there is going to be a point in time where you have to actually make the decision. I mean, you can prepare as much as you want, but you are going to be scared if you're trying to transition from one thing to another. So you do have to take like a mini jump at some point. And I've seen too many people procrastinate that because it's easier not to do it. So they keep holding on to this job that they maybe don't like and they have this other thing on the side and they've been growing something, but they just won't. It's like they keep doing both and they won't make the choice. And so my advice would be if you already have a proven concept, if you're making money and you've been doing it for a while and it's on the side and you want to do that full-time, you should do it. You should jump to it if you really want to because you're just going to kind of delay the process because every entrepreneur that I've talked to, probably every entrepreneur I've talked to, always says, I wish I had done this sooner, right? You know, how much further will you be along if you take the jump a little bit sooner? But still prepare, still be responsible. But yeah, definitely take the jump.
4: I like that contrasting point of view. I appreciate
3: that. Corey, last words. I think for doctors, we are very tied up into our job. It is our identity. And I usually tell them, you know what, you're going to quit this sometime. This comes to an end at some time. Many people say, no, I'm never going to retire. Well, that's not true. At some point, you're going to stop doing this. You're going to outgrow it. Something will be different. Instead of just quit sometime, if you make a plan, and what I say is I didn't retire from medicine. I repurposed my life. I didn't go through a retirement. I went through a repurposement. I developed a new mission and a new identity, and moved on to that next one. But you know it will happen at some point in your life. You will stop. Bobby was teaching high school band. No, there aren't any 90-year-old high school band teachers. At some point, that would have come to an end anyway. So he chose when it was going to come to an end on his own term. And we can do that as physicians. When will we bring this phase of our life to a close and move into the next half? And I like to say I spent the first half of my life making money, and I'm going to spend the second half making a difference.
4: Andrew Carnegie's type philosophy sounds like. All right, well, let's round this out and close out the conversation allowing each of you a chance to promote what you're working on and let the audience know what's up next for you. Let's go to Bobby. Where can we find you and what's up next?
1: You can find me actually in two different places, millennialmoneyman.com and laptopempires.com. And uh, you can follow me on social media at Gen Y Money Man. And uh, what's next for me, honestly, 2018 was a huge year for the business. It grew really, really fast. And I'm kind of looking forward to it being a little bit more stable and just kind of normal so I can relax a little bit this year. So um, we have several courses that we sell and and on entrepreneurship and starting side hustles. Uh, So definitely check those out. But yeah, next for me is just try to relax in 2019, to be honest with you.
4: Fantastic. Post-growth cycle enjoyment, right? So good for you. Glad to hear it happen for you that way.
3: Corey, how about you? Well, I can be found at, my website is drcoreysfawcett.com. That's doctor with a dr, drcoreysfawcett.com. And that's the same handle everywhere for Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, it's the same name. You can find me in all those places. I've got three books out now in the Doctor's Guide series. There's two more going to come out later this year. The first one is starting your practice right for the resident transitioning to their first attending job. The next one's on eliminating debt. That pretty much covers all of them. And then the last one is on retirement or career transitions. I've got a course coming out for those of you who are interested in locum tenens. Hopefully by late February, that will be available to you to learn everything you need to know about locum tenens to make your life better. I enjoyed three years of locum tenens, and that was great. And so this year I'm going to be working on getting that course launched and getting two more books out to the public.
4: Wonderful. Thanks for coming and joining us. Wendy, what's up next for you and where can we find you?
0: Well, you can find our podcast at houseoffi.com and House of Fi on all of iTunes, Stitcher. We're just about everywhere. And then I write at girlfiday.com. And what's next for me is getting this real estate business going and being you know, increasing that income. But I'm most excited about the podcast, just growing the podcast. We're going to be launching some courses this year. And then in the personal realm, we're hoping to get our first real estate investment property this year. So that's a big change for us and we're excited about it.
2: So I really love this conversation. And one of the main reasons is we had three guests and each of the guests did it slightly differently. So Bobby started his career transition very early in his career. He realized that teaching wasn't for him and he made that transition quickly. Wendy, I feel, worked as a lawyer for a number of years, and then eventually kind of mid-career decided that she needed to transition out of it. And finally, Corey worked a lot of his main years as a physician, and only as he got too closer to the end of his career, decided to transition more to an author and a real estate maven. So, the point being is that career transitions can happen at any time. And what I'm really also realizing is that for none of them, was it about money, Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like they made these transitions because they wanted to make more money. Most of these transitions are based on quality of life and passion. They found that their lives would be better if they started doing things differently.
4: Yeah, in at least one case, it was kind of the antithesis of doing it for money. You took a huge pay cut in order to have something else for quality of life. And what makes that so possible possible? is this attitude and behavior of saving. It just puts you in a position of power. Even if you only have one year's worth of runway, having that gives you time to boot up. Now, I kind of liked his advice is that don't follow my example just because it worked for me. Because when you're 26, quitting your job and just jumping off in the deep end and believing it's going to work is probably not a winning strategy for most people. He was able to pull it off, but a lot of people don't. And you don't hear about those people very often. So I like the word transition and talking about transitioning into a, a lifestyle and then kind of figuring out how to earn an income or live off of investments in such a way that you can live the life that you want and not focus entirely on this earn-spin cycle that we so often get pulled into. It's so American of us to get pulled into that trap.
2: You know, we didn't talk about it here on this episode, but all three of the participants had debt stories. And they've all talked openly about their debt stories, yet it wasn't debt that either kept them in their current jobs, nor debt that pushed them to transition. So again, getting back to this point, it's really not about money. And this podcast exists because we are interested in financial independence and how different aspects of our life affect financial independence. But it, when it comes to it, career transitions are more about quality of life. And you could say then they're completely separate from financial independence, but that's not the point. Actually, part of this journey that we take to be financially secure is also to be emotionally secure and not only to live, but thrive. And so I feel like these career transitions helped these three people thrive.
4: Yes. And so much of that is about the mindset. You mentioned the emotional intelligence. It's a mindset. And we kind of pulled on that a little bit, this idea of the W-2 mindset versus the entrepreneur mindset. And that's something that I think would be an interesting conversation to have to get a few other people on the line that believe that you should be coming from one place or the other, or at least have come from one place or the other and see that contrast between how you pursue FI with a W-2 versus entrepreneur mindset. So that
2: might just be what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Corey Fawcett, Wendy Mays, and Bobby Hoyt. That's a wrap.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys.
2: Great job. Great job.
0: That was fun.
4: We haven't had any fights yet. We're going to have to engineer (laughs) a fight or two. (laughs) They're friendly conversations. Become shot jocks.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Sounds good, guys.
2: Sure. Thank you.
3: Thanks nice for nice. having me. Yeah, you
2: yeah, betcha. Yeah, it was, it was great. Great job. Nice right. meeting you.
3: Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing Bureau Chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. vs. China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.